This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast. And it's the last podcast before Christmas. And we're coming to you once again from the virtual joint. Unfortunately, things have accelerated. They've gone to another level, level tier four, as it is. And now we find ourselves actually cooped up in our own little joints, our own little virtual joints all around the country. But we thought it's still important for us to come together give you the lowdown on what's happening with Brentford on the eve of what is our biggest ever League Cup match against Newcastle on Tuesday night. My name's Billy Grant and I'm sitting here, I say cooped up, it's not too bad cooped up, I'm looking at the sea at the moment now because I was lucky enough to have got away just before Boris made his announcement to everybody that you need to stay at home if you're a tier four posse. And I'm here with my chums. Laney, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. Um... Bunkered down, it looks like for for the foreseeable. Yeah, who'd have thought that? You know, I was uh, mixed messages all week, and uh, obviously changed again yesterday. So uh, just yeah, just trying to work out what that what that means for my Christmas. Uh, obviously, it means no football. Um, and uh, that's, that's been the biggest kind of like obviously the you know the big one of the biggest sort of turnarounds was the fact that we were allowed back to football and then all of a sudden we're not and it's got progressively worse since then. Looked like we were heading back towards some sort of normality sort of two weeks ago when we went to the Blackburn game. So that's that even then seems uh, a, a world away again. So uh, yeah, as I said, yeah, um, very very positive result yesterday. Very very encouraged by that. We'll talk about that in detail. Um, but yeah, just trying to get my head around what Christmas is going to mean and all that. Yes, it's you and everybody else, lady. And I've got my man Jimmy Mack in the house as well. Jimmy, how are you? Yeah, all right, Billy. Thank you, mate. Uh, happy new tier, one and all. Um, as we, uh, yeah, find ourselves in the, the uh, rather unfortunate situation of, uh, of tier four. Um, I'm also, you know, wasn't lucky enough to escape to the seaside like you. So you find me in my bedroom today. Uh, got Bloody Mary. Uh, with me to, to help me get over yesterday and uh, I'll tell you what happened you know just watching the game yesterday the Brentford Reading game which was all lovely Boris makes an announcement 
immediately after the game, one of my friends, I was sort of half listening to Boris, half watching I Follow. And the game, the second half was a bit of a, you know, not quite as important as the first, was it, really? But um, um, half watching I Follow. And then immediately after the game, one of my friends phones me and says that as part of the tier four, they, they were going to stop selling alcohol. And uh, I, I panicked, pressed the panic button, and uh, immediately left the house, went to Tesco Express, bought a load of wine, and then um, ended up drinking most of it during uh, Strictly, celebrating Bill Bailey's success. So, um, yeah, then the whiskey come out, hence Bloody Mary today, trying to bounce back. A some combo, mate, like Brentford victory and Strictly come dancing final, mate. You must have been, you must have been like absolutely like pig in poo, eh? So the, the Bill Bailey uh, Brentford double on Paddy Power uh, paid out big time. And it just goes to show you what this uh, this whole new world has come to now as well. You know, the last that we used to have, you know, we used to be planning our nights out. And uh, I know there's a whole of us were sitting around actually talking about, you know, what we're going to be watching on New Year's Eve. Is it going to be Hootenanny or what else is going to be? And I'm like, no, this is like pandemic world. Like, you know, please, no, not Hootenanny, anything but. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually quite like the Hootenanny, but that's, that's another story. Um, you know, I was thinking last week, um, last week, the, um, I mean, it's, it's been, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a, you know, we can sort of try and, typical British way to have the gallows humour but it's a it's been a strange few days isn't it from going from the game against Watford where I watched it in the in the Globe actually I went down there and watched it and you know they did quite a good job there of keeping everyone sort of you know apart but it, the, we had the Sky Sports on and after the match immediately they um they turned on um all the Christmas songs and you know Fairy Tale and New York was blasting out and then Mariah Carey and all that and I'd sort of, I'd sort of blanked out the uh, that festivities, but it, it sung to my heart a little bit, you know. It was in the pub, but friends around, all the Christmas music was on. I thought, oh, you know, I'm gonna, gonna miss, gonna miss out on that this year. That was a real, um, you know, that was the first time I sort of, I don't know, we sort of come to terms with the fact it's going to be a bit bleak, and then it goes a bit bleaker yesterday. But um, show must go on. Yeah, and talking of shows, you know, like the Strictly Come Dancing, you've seen they've announced the, the next series, the, the participants. Uh, apparently, John Terry's mum's going to be I on know, it. We should, move, we should move on Strictly from that anyway. So, talking about Tier 4, and I was all having a little think about this. I mean, listen, look, this is Tier 4. I mean, it'll not be funny, but Boris, fair enough, mate. I mean, I know you've been making up a lot of stuff over the last year or so, but this is properly, like, just out of the blue, this Tier 4. He's just made up another tier out of the blue. And I was just thinking, Tier 4. When was the last time we were in Tier 4? Jimmy? Yeah, so Tier 4 is is, uh, is new territory when it comes to this uh, coronavirus planning, but it's not new territory for Brentford, is it? And some of my final, finest days supporting the Bees were down in Tier 4. And um, thinking of the League 2 years, when we had, um, we had uh, Andy Scott uh, leading us to success, uh, when, when I think of that year, the first thing that springs to mind is Bournemouth away in that cr- that critical day where we, uh, I think, beaten one nil, maybe, maybe it was a draw. But I, I definitely remember Darren Powell punching Carly Osborne. I think that I think that was true. And then me and uh, me and me and Big Lou were down there, and we ended up getting stuck on for some celebratory seaside drinks afterwards, and we got stuck in the Weatherspoons next to Potter for an hour, and it kind of kind of sailed the mood a bit. But um, but yeah, that's tier four. And we ended up winning the league that year. So um, we have come out of tier four victorious in the past. So uh, we shall do it again. 
people. I remember getting really badly sunburned that day. That was uh, that was that was hot. Um, it was yeah, as you say though, it was it was a, it was a memorable game. Obviously, the the other the previous tier four experience to that was uh, again ended in promotion um, under Ron Nodes and. Uh, uh, the, the Cambridge, the Cambridge promotion um, with Awusu getting uh, the winner. Um, happy, happy, happy days. But my, my, one of my standout memories from that was the first away game. Was uh, the Halif- Halifax away we played on the fifteenth of August? We we beaten Mansfield at home three 0 on the opening day, Rapley and Freeman, and then uh, we got really excited, and then. Uh, we went to Halifax and we were going to go up in Beardy Jeff's car, but I remember it, it broke down and then we had to hot, hot foot it across London to get to Bill's car. And then Billy, Billy drove up like literally like a man possessed, like an absolute lunatic. And the traffic was really, really shit. And I remember, I don't know what, what road, what road it was, but you're on the wrong side of the road going down, skipping whole lines of, um, Traffic jams. Do you honestly? We got there at half time, I think it was, and we lost lost one nil. So uh, you know, but Beast fans think they've got it bad now. We're like losing one nil at Halifax in in the bottom league. Frank out. That's right. <laughs> Frank definitely must be out. Anyway, and uh, I mean for me again, bottom tier, and I'm just thinking that you know for me the bottom tier is two bottom tier seasons as it is. Um, I, was actually, I was actually going to go with the Cambridge game actually. Um, that, that you talked about, but I've talked about that quite a lot when we, you know, we, we went up and we were down we were by the river, you know, there's, you know, I took a coach up there and there's like 40, 50 of us by the anchor pub in the river and Lulu was singing his songs. It was a beautiful day. The Brentford team came walking past. Everyone's heard that story so many times. You know, we were all in our sort of Cambridge Don white wigs and our sort of kind of blazers and our ties. You know, it was a great day out. You know, I had loads of champagne in the bottom of the coach for if we won. And we won as well when the Luisu scored. And uh, yeah, that was great. But it wasn't that one I was going to go for. Now, just thinking about it, the other second tier is the previous one, which was, I enjoyed that one notes um, second tier bomb. But, but the one afterwards, the Andy Scott one, and I remember talking about away days. I remember I was, uh, I was at home one time and my mum came over from Florida. And all of a sudden, I just went, hey, everybody, do you fancy going up to Bradford for the, for the weekend? And my mum was like, yeah, right then. And my wife was like, yeah, right then. And I had my little daughter, my son was up there as well, um, who was only about four at the time. And my daughter, literally, is only about four months old. So we literally just jumped in the car and decided to drive up to York. We went to York, did a sightseeing up in York for, for the day, on the Friday. Then we came down and then we parked up in the hotel. And we put our stuff down in the hotel and we went down to the pool and everything like that. And I just remember, you know, I had a great night. I met a couple of bees actually came out for a little drink with us. A couple of couple of local fans as well, I think Bradford fans came out had a little drink with us on the Friday night. And then on Saturday, we were getting to ready to go to the game. And all of a sudden, I'd go into the reception and the whole Bradford team was there, including Andy Scott and everyone. And I was like, oh, and your, your favourite, your favourite, Martin Rowlands was there as well. I'm not sure if he was there, actually. Um, but um, no, actually, no, this was, because this was 2009, so Martin Rowlands had left like, oh, right, 10 okay. years beforehand. Um, so yeah, the whole Brentford team was there, and, uh, and and I remember as well, and also Darren Powell. Because so I remember chatting to Darren as well. Obviously, a friend of the podcast. If you check him out, Brighterwest.London, his podcast is in the live one with him and Lloyd Harusu, who will also be later on this podcast. Oh, Powley, what's up? And I remember he was really nervous because Andy Scott was just standing there, just looking at the team. He was like some sort of sergeant major, and you can see that everyone was like scared to sort of kind of like sort of step out of line. They were just like, so Powell sort of said, "Yeah, right, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Can't really say anything at the moment now." 
But anyway, that was it. They sort of met the kids and everything like that. They went off and we drew one all and we got promoted that season. So that, like I said to you, is my little tear four moment. Is my daughter, who was four months old at the time, her very first Brentford match. And now she absolutely loves it and she goes all the time. So anyway, that's tier four for you. We're trying to bring a bit of joy for you in the fact that, you know, We've been, we've, been, we've been slipped a bit of tier four news and, and, and it hasn't gone down particularly well. And unfortunately, people are going to have a lot of their, well, their Christmases slightly, um, well, different to what they expected it to be. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are very, very upset about this. But like I said to you, you know, we're trying to bring a bit of positivity to it. We're just trying to throw a little, little, little twist on it and just showing you that, you know, tier four at times hasn't been all that bad, has it, Laney? Uh, no, not if you're putting, not if you're trying to put a Brentford spin on it. But the, re- the real world tier four is, is pretty crap for a lot of people, and uh, you know, just uh, hope you and yours are all right this Christmas, and uh, you know, jobs are okay. You know, the serious side of it is it's it's, it's pretty shit. So uh, you know, we, we can have a laugh, but uh, you know, the, the flip side is it's, uh, it's it's not actually it's not actually very good, is it? Yeah, and mate, mate I'll, I'll come in there, Bill, and say, I mean, you know, for me, you know, everyone's got their own challenges here throughout this period uh, for me when they brought elite sport back after the summer lockdown that was a real diff that, was, that really uplifted my mood you know it gave us something to focus on gave us a bit of entertainment even if you can't go to the matches and uh you know when i saw yesterday that they were elite sport was allowed to continue that was such a relief so you know very we we, we'll, we st- we've still got our brentford even if we can't go and that'd be that'd be a real that's a, that's a real bonus i think from what is uh a really rubbish situation that we gives everyone a bit of distraction and you know a bit of entertainment so uh fair play to the, the boys and girls in the football world for, for keeping going and um yeah i'm looking forward to the, the fixes actually that'll be that'll be a bit of light in, in, in the darkness definite light in the darkness so we're going to be looking back at the light back last weekend when we played reading and we got a very good result against reading let's have a little bit of a twang and we'll come back and we'll talk about the reading game so saturday Brentford were at New Griffin Park. Reading came down there. They're trying to upset us because they have been top of the league. They've been doing very well this season. But Brentford needed to show the world that we ain't no one-trick pony. The fact that we can actually get back on track and actually get some back-to-back wins, actually get some points on the table and get in them playoff spots. So, very happy. 3-1 to the mighty, mighty bees. And Jensen scored a goal very early. I was still on my way down. Here to the south coast, I was got inside the plan and it was three o'clock and I thought, great, and I opened up a laptop and I was bought the game started and then it froze because iFollow does that quite a lot and it took me about five minutes to get iFollow going and by the time I saw the WhatsApps coming in, everyone's going, Yes, it's got in, I don't know how that happened. Oh Jensen scored and that was it. Got the early goal and after that another two goals in there and yes, three goals up and then three one to the mighty, mighty bees. Tell you what though. What we're going to do is we're going to go over to Will also the spreadsheet winker because he knows all about the stat side of things and he's going to give us his rundown on that game and then we'll come back and see if we agree with him. Here's a spreadsheet winker. Today we're going to give a rundown of the Brentford versus Reading game. It finished three-one to the bees. In terms of XG, Bees had 0.75 and Reading 0.47. These XG totals actually flatter the Bees, who relied on a flurry of chances in injury time to finish the game above the visitors. Until that, it was an exceedingly rare tale of Brentford having three shots and scoring all three, 
perhaps luckily, especially the first goal, where a tame Matthias Jensen shot was fumbled into the net by Reading keeper Rafael Cabral. It only had 5% XG, so the blame for this one lies squarely with the goalkeeper. Then, finally, the Brian and Burmo masterclass we've all been waiting for. First, his classic cut in onto his left foot in the 23rd minute. After a sublime crossfield pass from De Silva, Brian caressed the ball into the net with just 4% XG, and then just six minutes later he had another, this time an 8% chance on the outside of the box, where the Frenchman brilliantly beat his man after Captain Ivan Tony laid it off on the edge of the area. The Reading defence were in shock. They couldn't even stop Brian when he was alone in the box with their entire back line against him. This was an example of all of the rotten luck that Mbomo has had recently with shots, all paying off at once, and it will do his confidence so much good. He's now close to equaling his expected goals tally of 3.98 for the season, which really shows how unlucky he's been, only having scored once before Saturday. Reading didn't offer all that much in attack for most of the game, despite clawing back a consolation off a 64th minute header from Sonny Aluko, a difficult 5% chance provided by Michael Alise Cross. Ordinarily, we would have the experienced Dalsgaard at right back, who might have blocked that cross, but the more offensively focused Fosu failed to do so. It's certainly the case that the Bees took their foot off the gas from the time of the third goal until Reading pulled one back, registering only one attempt in that time. Mind you, Reading only managed two in the same time window, so I don't think you can fault the Bees too much. What about our young, inexperienced defence then? They were certainly passing less, with Good and Sorensen racking up 52 and 47 passes each respectively. Considering that Pinnock and Janssen regularly reached 90 passes each per game, this was a stark change of style, possibly not unexpected since Goob was in League 2 and Sorensen in League 1 last season, where ball-playing centre-halves are not common. Fosu led the team with 9 successful tackles, a 100% success rate. He also showed again his ability to get up the pitch and rotate with midfielders on the right-hand side, using De Silva and Jensen as outlets to move the ball forward, then go on the overlap himself further down the wing, playing off in Burmo. And Charlie Good looked like a classic no-nonsense centre-back, with three interceptions and two aerials won. So despite not fielding our first-choice players for three-quarters of our defence, the Bees managed to keep it tight at the back and took every chance they got in attack. One thing to note, though, we absolutely can't expect three shots, three goals every week, or probably even again this season. Especially from such low XG chances, this game could easily have been a 1-0 loss or a 1-1 draw. Credit to Reading's defence for only allowing two chances above 10% XG all game, both in the second minute of injury time at the end of the match. So that was Will, the spreadsheet winker, and I've sounded a little bit better now. I was a little bit distant. It's almost like I was recording in the sea, but I've come out the sea now, and I'm actually on dry land, so hopefully it doesn't sound so weird and strange. But anyway... That was Will the Witch Tinny. Tinny, yeah, that's right. You know, that's because of you, lady. You've been Frank out, mate. That's right. I blame. No, it's Thomas Frank's. Thomas Frank's problem. It's his fault. It's his fault. I do blame Thomas Tank. Thomas Tank. Thomas Frank. Thomas Tank. Thomas. the Tank Engine. I've obviously had too many of your tinnies, lady. You know what I'm saying. So, uh, but that's good. But that's right. Tank must be gone. Get rid of the tank. But anyway, that was Frank. Will. Frank Tau, Frank Tau. Uh, there's just too much. Will the spreadsheet winker? There you go. He's got the stats and he's got the facts, and he's running down. And basically, and I tell you something. This is quite funny. Such a turnaround for us this season. Basically, it's almost like totally different from beforehand. Where what we were doing is that we'll have like 98% possession. You know, we'll have about 745 chances, and if we're lucky, we'd score one goal. We go, hey, our XG was fantastic. We're just steaming at the top of the table and fine, but. He basically said we were lucky. 
we were lucky in the last game and we saw that with our own eyes as well but you know we kind of got an early goal even though you know to be fair you've got to get there to shoot the goal in the first place the goalkeeper fluffed it um, but you know he said that we were lucky we you know hadn't got a massively high XG as in the chances that we created but every single chance that we created went in the back of the net and I was thinking about this today as I was sort of uh, you know just looking out the window here and just sort of chilling and I just thought how many times did we play teams last season when we went and they were up at the top of the league and we went tell you what I didn't think they were all that but you know they just kind of like got lucky they got their chances and they got a couple of chances and they put the back of the net you feel a little bit aggrieved about it and I could imagine so a few teams are probably feeling that about Brentford now because we seem to be doing exactly the same thing aren't we yeah I think oh, there is a um there is first of all there is I think saying it's lucky. I mean, I'm not I'm not really having that. I'd say as a summary, but once once it goes three 0 and you know, admittedly those three goals weren't, you know, like clear. Like you know, it's a bit bit of luck for Jensen's goal, a bit of magic for the first goal from Brian in particular. Um, once it goes three 0 the game changes and, and they they manage the game differently, and that affects the rest of the game. So, you know, I, I think. I think it's a fair win. We've caught Red in that good time. And and it alludes to the, the, the difference in this team this year, right? That they, they've got more experience this level and they're better at grinding out wins. Exactly as you say, last year we played against teams that were, you know, just lost on many occasions or just didn't get points against bigger sides. They knew how not to lose. And we've got that real sort of steel about us this year. I think, um, I think, um, was mentioned in the week by the fella doing the summary whose name escapes me. Um, the Irish um, guys played for Blackburn, uh, played for Ireland as well. He said, like, Brentford, uh, there isn't a soft centre. Keith Andrew. Keith Andrew, that's the point, yeah. Um, there isn't a soft centre of that team like, like there used to be, you know. I think we we would often, and you know, last year we did it famously on a few occasions, where we'd snatch the deep for jaws of victory. This team doesn't feel like it's going to do that. The unbeaten run backs that up massively. Um, and, and that's going to really carry us through because, you know, what everyone is saying that we're now on 13 14 unbeaten and for that whole period I, I don't really feel like we've stepped into top gear once really so that's the difference and i think there's more to come and we're not losing so um mate, it's happy days I, I, I agree with jimmy there what he said in the in, in his first sentence really um you know lucky not not having it and um we were fortunate in some respects, but in each one of those goals, there were still moments of class, you know, and there's a positive to be taken out of the first goal. I mean, yeah, okay, Jensen's shot, you know, we massive, massive tip of the hat to the goalkeeper for spooning it in, you know, and, uh, you know, it was it, it should have been a comfortable save for him, but the pass from Canos was, was excellent. Jensen had got advanced and he, you know, he decided to take a shot. It, you know, it it, t- it did take a fortunate, you know, um, mistake to give us the lead, and that that actually was probably the clinching moment because you know to concede um, as we did later on in the game, two one, with them coming at us. There was a stage during the second half where almost every second ball, every fifty fifty, every deflection ricochet bouncing off of the kneecap would fall back to a Reading and it was like they were coming at us wave after wave and I don't think they looked particularly good or you know they didn't look like the champions elect that some people had them down for in the first six games unfortunately it's not a six game season we know that and um, you know so Reading were, 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 on, were on the up you know so I think 
having a, having a three goal cushion was was the be all and end all at that stage. Two at two, I'm thinking, you know, you know, giving us a, a one goal cushion, you, you, you expect the worst. So uh, the the magic as well that that Jimmy spoke about with Mbwemo, that's been long overdue and coming. It's almost every shot up until then this season's been blazed over the bar. Um, he's, everything he's touched really in front of goals not come off for him and he got two goals the, the first one as he said bit of magic and the third goal his, his second was a, just a brilliantly intricate well worked move um, where Tony, Tony set him up and you know he did exactly the right thing he waited until the exact millisecond where he stroked it past the goalkeeper clinical finish that clinical finish has been missing um, but hopefully those two goals will kind of it's almost like a reset and uh, hopefully you know his season can now kick on um, and it, that's that's what we got to look at we we have been spluttering it has been stop start but you know we, we're 13 games into an unbeaten run and you know what I think about unbeaten runs they're not always worth having but really you know it is uh, you know, it's a habit. We've got in the habit of not losing, and that's got us up to fourth in the division. I think, I think one, one one way you can say we were lucky is that we've come, we played Reading at a time when they were missing a lot of quality. Uh, you know, a lot of their goal scorers weren't the side. So, I mean, that, that that's that's not a reflection of the luck within the ninety minutes, but the situation was fortunate for us. Yeah, agreed. And, and in in particular, I think with our centre half partnership. I mean, I think actually Mads Beck's done really well when he's played this year. But he's been next, generally next to a calm and influence. And on Saturday, he found himself, he was almost like the, you know, the experienced pro, going with Charlie Good, who I think probably carried an injury from what I've heard, but he had a couple of questionable performances. So I, I think had we not gone free, or had we not had got a lead early, any lead really, that would have been tested. Um, so an added benefit is the fact that those those guys got 90 minutes. The pressure was off a little bit because when it goes three 0 you know, you've got to do a lot wrong to, to throw that defeat away, or to, to throw the lead away. And um, I mean, very likely that those two are going to be playing again Tuesday, right? Or, or the Newcastle game. So yeah, good for them to get 90 minutes together um, and and to be a part of a winning side. Um, that was a big benefit, I think. Yeah, I agree with the, with the defence. You know, yes, Reading were. Um, you know, depleted in they didn't have a lot of their star strikers. But then, you know, our defence, you did look at it and you, you, you could have thought, Oh God, we're we're there we picked apart today. You know, you should say good uh as you know, hasn't been the player that we hoped he would from the start. It's not to say he won't be. Um, you know, uh Mads Beck he's he's not an experienced centre back. We're used to having someone with a little bit more experience stood next to him, um, and we've got um, you know force where Dalsgaard usually is, and you know Rico fortunately only played uh, you know, he only had to play forty five minutes. So you know it was a it was a kind of like a little bit of an experimental back back line for Brentford. But I, I said to uh, my son during the game we were watching it together, and I said to him you know. Um, David Raya in goal. He he brings a real kind of air of calm to that. Some of his passing out was just sublime. We saw that was at his best almost. Some of his passing yesterday, but there couldn't be a more perfect goalkeeper for this Brentford team. He, he he's perfect. I mean, I just I tell you something. For me, I was you always get nervous, and I was a little bit nervous. I was particularly nervous in the second half when we decided to sub out. 
um, took off um, Rico Henry and decided to have a, in effect, it was, a, and this is no disrespect to the players, but a, a fully second string back four as well. You had Tariq um, Fosu on the right-hand side. You had um, um, Thompson on the left-hand side. And obviously you had Good and Mad Beck Sorensen in the middle. And I thought, oh no, you know, if Reading, if they get an early goal, you know, it's going to put us, under, put us under pressure here. So I was a little nervous, but I think that what you have to do is you have to sort of kind of, as a manager, as uh, Thomas Frank, he's just got to trust the players that he's got. And you know the players that you've got. And you said, tell you something, this is your test. And you've got to show us, you know, what you could do. Last time you went out there, you might have made a few mistakes, but hopefully you're going to learn from those mistakes. And I think they actually dealt with it really well. Tarek Fosu was actually really impressed with him. We've been trying to find, you know, alternative positions for a few players. Fosu's one of them, and obviously Canos is one of them as well. And I thought uh, Fosu actually coped really well in that right-back position. You know, you know, offensively, I think he did great. You know, um, he could have, like I said to you, um, Bees Analytic put a little thing out there saying that he could have crossed the ball a little bit more. But other than that, I thought that Fosu actually kind of sort of kind of um, really held his own on that, but also kind of almost, like I said to you, still provided that attacking uh, wing-back thing, which actually makes Brentford really dangerous. Interesting to see from whoscored.com who were the top performers for Brentford that game. We had Brian Bumo as well, who, as we've said, finally Brian scored a couple of goals. Um, it's a couple of goals he scored? A couple, yeah, he scored a couple of goals, a couple of great goals that he scored. Very Bumo goals as well. Kind of like Josta Silva. You probably looked at Josta Silva's goal last week, which is very Josta Silva. You saw Josta Silva kind of cut in. You saw he sort of kind of did a slight dummy and then he's going to curve the ball in. So Josta Silva. Bumo did exactly the same thing this time. He was flying high at 8.7. Then we had Jensen in at 8.2, I think it was, as well. And then Janelt, who's after that, who's just our Mr. Reliable in the middle there at sort of 7.5. And then Sergi Canos after that. So the top four performing players, as far as they were concerned in that game, were four Brentford players before Elise came in, you know, with a 7.4. So we had our players were performing to a certain standard. They were performing very high. They were doing the job. And, you know, listen, we didn't create the chances that we you would expect us that we would normally do. But on the flip side of it, you know, Reading... Um, they didn't get they didn't get the sniffs that they they thought they were going to get. They didn't create high chances either. And as we've said this season, Brentford are on this defensive thing at the moment now. And if we can keep our defence tight and nick a goal here or there and get the win, then that is all good. Yeah, really, really good. I think I think a good point you made there about the um, about the defence. Like at the end, all four defenders were you know, second string, respect you know respectfully. They, they weren't the first choice. Um, Someone mentioned it. Oh, this, this isn't my observation. Someone else put it on Twitter, I think. But it is a good point that Canos tweeted after the game that um, you know, great win, and he singled out Thompson and Charlie Good for coming in and doing a good job. And it does kind of suggest that they all they're all aware that them two are maybe lacking confidence or have been or have had a bit of stick. And he's getting behind them, obviously coming from his period of where he got a bit. Yeah, you know, he was having, getting pelted from the fans, and he's rallying behind Thompson and Good in particular. So. Seems that's getting through, and maybe it suggests those guys that are lacking a bit of confidence and need a bit of a boost. So they should have got that Saturday. Yes, I'm glad you pointed that out, Jim, because you know it just, it just shows you that what people do say on social media um, does have an impact. You know, the players do pick up on it. Um, so you know, you know, if you're if you're you know if you're wishing someone in your own team ill, um, it, it it doesn't do anyone any good. Um, so you know, yes, yeah, so they had a stinky game. No one's no one's te- no one's telling you to say like they play great every week, but you know, no one's no, you know just just 
rein it in a bit, some certain people. Um, and but one of the highlights from me was uh, Josh De Silva um, celebrating with Brian and Bumo um, after after his first goal. You know, the the, the, the worldie that he smashed in with his left. They they kind of celebrated together. Um, it was almost like Josh was just so happy that Brian had got his goal, and uh, it was it came from his pass. But I don't think he was celebrating because of that. I think he was clearly just overjoyed to see someone who had been struggling to, to, to just to get that break to, to to get it and to get it in some style. There was lovely lovely technique actually from De Silva. I think he I remember that said he was running backwards, wasn't he? Remo. Exactly. Like, yeah. I was just waiting for him to trip over and do the old. It's like, it was run. like, but no, it's like talk, it was spot on. Like you've been watching, t- yeah. you've been watching too much come dancing, haven't you? It was almost like a, 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 a Torvald Dean. A it was like t- what Bill Bailey did later in the evening. It was like Torvald Dean. <laughs> yeah, That's and right. Jadis scores her in from a tank. It's <laughs> <laughs> Frank uh, out. Coming back again to Tariq Fosu, um, Henry, as we said. Also, he got the most tackles in the game. He got nine tackles in the game. So that's just coming back to the fact that how he kind of stepped up in his role. He's been given a role. said, this is what you've got to do, Tariq. And he's done exactly the business, which I think is very, very promising because we're going to talk about the Newcastle game a little bit later. But to be honest with you, I've got no idea who's going to play in this game at the moment now. But like I said to you, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But listen... Good result for the Bees. Just want to say, you know, what happened in that game as well. Brentford, very good at stealing the ball from the opposition. Very strong at finishing. Effective at creating goal-scoring opportunities as well. We were a little bit aggressive, but, you know, that kind of part and part of the course as well. Reading, they stole the ball from the opposition as well. And they're effective at creating goal-scoring opportunities from the flanks. Um, but they, they, they created a lot of problems. A lot of errors they did. So, listen, that's the game in a nutshell against Reading. Let's forget about Reading for now, because we have actually got a big game on Tuesday. It is a quarter-final game. The Bees are in the quarter-finals. Quarter-finals of the Cup. The League Cup, we're going to call it. The Caraboo Cup, as some people call it. Um, it's a shame we can't be in the you, stadium. You, well, you, only you call it, Bill. It's only you call it that. It is actually <laughs> only me, actually. You've, you've pointed it out again. Thanks, lady, for embarrassing me. It's a real shame, because we were going to be in that stadium to cheer on our team. But things have gone a little bit awry, as we know, and we're not going to dwell on that. But it doesn't really matter, because the Bees will be there in the stadium and the Newcastle are coming down. We're going to talk about that game right after this little break. So Tuesday night, Newcastle are coming down to New Griffin Park. And tell you what, they've not been here for only a few years. They were here about three years ago, was it? 2017, they beat us on their way back up to the Premier League. They're a very good side that time as well, like I said to you. Down on the terraces, we were there, DJ Steves and also Chub Buddy G from Corrupt FM having a few beers with them at halftime. And they're actually on the Besotted video if you want to check that out on Besotted 1992. And a lot of people may not know Chub Buddy G is actually, he's not a Brentford fan as depicted in Corrupt FM, but he's actually a Newcastle fan. So this will be a big game for him, probably his biggest game of the season. But anyway, like I said to you, we have got Newcastle coming down and we've got Will the Spreadsheet Winker who's going to be giving us a little bit of a preview as to what is going down with Newcastle and whether or not they are actually beatable. So onwards now to the Beast's first ever League Cup quarter-final and to a Newcastle team who come into the match 12th in the Premier League. They've scored 17 goals this season only one more than Ivan Tony has managed alone. 
and they have an XG difference, which is the difference between expected goals for and expected goals conceded, of minus 4.48. They tend to lose matches by 0.38 XG every game, on average letting in 1.55 and gaining 1.20. A big point for this match will be whether or not Steve Bruce decides to include striker Callum Wilson, who has been responsible for 8.28 XG, which is 53% of the team's total. Only one other player, Joel Linton, has more than one cumulative expected goal this season, suggesting a huge over-reliance on Wilson, even worse than Brentford's perceived over-reliance on Ivan Toney, who has 41% of Brentford's total XG this season. So this game for me hinges on the team selection of both coaches. If the Bees can score one or two before Wilson gets on the pitch, I think we have a decent chance of winning this time. Come on the Bees! So there you go, Will the Spreadsheet Winker. Tell you something, it's good to get this little, little statistical insight. Listen, you don't, as we said to you, you don't have to swallow it all, but it's just useful as good information. And, and basically what he's saying there is that Brentford have got a good chance on Tuesday night because we're bees, we're not taking anything for granted at all. But, you know, Callum Wilson, great player. We know him, almost came to Brentford at that time when he was at Coventry. And we, I think we tried to sign him, it didn't quite happen. Great player, great player for Bournemouth. And if Callum's in the side, they've always got a chance. We can't give him a sniff on goal. But he said, other than that, they haven't really got that much offering as well. You know, interestingly, they've scored 17 goals in total, which is actually one more than Ivan Tony has scored himself. And I don't know if you've seen it as well. Ivan Tony scored more goals than... and. There's a whole load of teams out there, including Fulham, including Arsenal, including, uh, I think there's a load of teams in the Championship that he scored more goals on. Quite a few, I think, um, um, West Brom as well. There's about 15 or 18 teams that Ivan Tony has scored more goals from, I think, in the top two divisions. So I think that kind of goes to show you where everything is and also very important that Ivan Tony is going to play in this game. But he might not. And if he doesn't, we've still got Marcus Force. This is going to be an interesting matchup, don't you think, Laney? Yeah, it is. It's, it's a game that um, I wanted to come around almost immediately um, after we, we, you know, we've beaten, we, we, we sort of come through the last round. You think about the teams we've beaten so far. You know, we've, we've beaten Southampton, we've, we've, we've beaten West Brom, we've beaten Fulham. We've, we, we've had a, we've had a really good run in this tournament so far, and we were, we were on form. Or that, you know, we're not, no, we're not off form at all at the moment. But that, that. That squad, the, the, the what was the Caribou Cup squad that we were rotating, um, they, they were doing us proud. Um, but ironically, you know, Newcastle then had a deep, quite a decent run-ish for their standards this season, and it looked like you know it it, it may be um, you know uh, by the time this December fixture came around, it might it might have been a little bit more tricky for us. I think it is going to be tricky. I mean, that's not that's not completely you know what you know write them off because they, there is a lot of quality in that team but from what I've seen I've seen a fair bit of Newcastle this season and they look like away from home they just go to spoil and stifle and frustrate and try and get uh, you know either a, a goal off of Vandy Carroll's elbow after he's taken out the defender with his head um, or um, you know uh, they, they, they are kind of a, a long ball direct team at times um, who have got the players to come and kind of just grab a really frustrating win if that's what they want I mean 
Fulham did a proper job on Newcastle in that match last night. Um, although Fulham weren't exceptional, it showed that if you got the ball down and you played round them and you had runners and you had people that were able to, to spot a pass, um, were able to take a risk, our kind of football, um, you, you can do all right against Newcastle. I think if we, if we approach the game with the right attitude, which we will... Um, if we set our team up strongly, which I think we will, I think we'll go stronger than we have done so far in this competition, um, and we take our chances, which after seeing Mbwemo kind of break his kind of unlucky run, there's more of a chance of other, you know, more than one player, apart from Ivan Tony being in form, um, there's, there's chances elsewhere for, for goal scoring opportunities apart from one player at the moment. So that's all positive. We just got a just go for it. Um, it's 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 the, as far as we've ever been in my lifetime, um, and the chances of us chances of us going to the semis is 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 just you know mouth watering really. Um, and I think with the right draw we could get to the final. So you know bring it on, mate. Bring it on. Definitely bring it on. So listen, let's bring on some funk. Let's get JB with his facts and stats. He's going to give us some stats about well about the League Cup and about Newcastle. And about the bees. JB, give us some funk. Are you ready for this? I told you it was coming. Woo! JB, and he's ready to stock it to you one time. Uh, get it! Hello, Jonathan Birchall here again. As we know, this is the first time we've reached the quarterfinal stage of the League Cup in this our 61st season of competing in it. To date, 106 players have scored for us, and Marcus Force with four goals only has eight players ahead of him in this goal scoring chart. Gary Blissett heads the list with nine, and Gary Roberts is second with seven. Matches against Newcastle are infrequent, only playing them 11 times in our history. Harry Curtis oversaw three wins, but every other result has gone against us, including our only previous meeting away in the League Cup back in 2001. Steve Coppel's side went into that tie on a good run of league form, having won their previous five league games. But despite Lord Awusa giving us a lead, Bobby Robson's Newcastle eventually won 4-1 after extra time. And just a look back to the Watford game. It created lots of excitement and stats. But one event that happened, or rather didn't, was the fact that Brentford had no corners during the game. A very rare occurrence, and indeed the last time was in our first championship season in the 1-0 win away at Brighton, when Andre Gray was a scorer, 307 games ago. And interestingly, our average number of corners per game has fallen over the last four years. From 7.3, to 6.5, to 5.9, to 4.4 so far this season. So there you go, JB and his funk and his fats. You like a bit of funk, don't you, Jimmy Mac? I like a bit of funk. Um, <laughs> I mean, you've put me... I, I like a bit of punk. Um, punk IPA, mainly. Um, yeah, funky... funky. Um, yeah, not, not, not so much, but I do like a bit of... Um, quarter-final action on a, on a Tuesday week before Christmas. Um, Newcastle has, I mean, it, it's, it, it's got the feel of a big game about it, this one. And I, I am looking forward to it. I think that the, the, the main thing, though, is that this is a cup where everybody kind of rotates, right? It's, it's, it's a bit of a B, B, B team trophy these days. But there's a tipping point where that becomes, you know, people start getting taken more seriously and, and I think that's now. I think that's now for us. I think we'll go. We'll put out a strong team on Tuesday. Um, Newcastle, I think historically have rotated as well, 
but I, I, I get the feeling they're going to want this as well, aren't they? Because they're so desperate for trophies there, and you know, it's fair play for that. But so, so I think there'll be two two strong teams going at it. Um, yeah, do I? I mean, watching Newcastle at the start of the year, I remember, remember thinking they were going to be quite good this year. Initially, I thought Hendrick was looking good in the team. Callum Wilson, I thought, was uh, you know, a great signing, and uh, he definitely is. But yeah, it was all a bit turgid yesterday against Fulham. You know, when Fulham are, are kind of running rings around you, thinking that they should have had the should have had the win easily, it shows the sort of state they're in. So, um, yeah, it could be a fairly close one, I think, on Tuesday. There's no reason we can't win it, um, and yeah, it's just all about all about that centre half partnership, though. I think for us. That's going to be really key. I mean, if Callum Wilson goes against Charlie Good and Mads Beck, that's going to be that's going to be where the game's won and lost. I think. Yeah, agreed. Um, it's it's kind of yeah. You, you have to go strong in those two central positions at the back. If if you've got Callum Wilson running at you, you know he, he was one of the brightest sparks uh, with Bournemouth, um, and you know he's clearly got pace and he's clearly got potential to to, to kind of take a, a substandard defence apart. So we have to, I, th- I think for that very reason we have, we have to go strong because you know, you, you're just kind of hoping for the best otherwise and I think we need to give ourselves uh, the best possible chance of doing well in this game. I, I, I just don't... I haven't got... In, the, in previous rounds, you can explain away why you would want to not go A++. Um, and I think, you, you, I think this is a game where you have to. And I know it's ridiculously... Uh, you know, ridiculously rigid, um, ridiculously grueling uh, program we've got in December, and the, the league has to come first. But you don't get these chances very often. You know, if we'd have bowed out pluckily on penalties at Southampton, then you kind of it, it, it gives things a different perspective. But the fact is that we've got this far now, and I think we ought to we ought to really just make the most of it and embrace it. And give give the ground its first proper big game. Um, you know, Newcastle in the Premier League are probably a slightly better proposition for us. Ironically, than Newcastle in the Championship. In the Championship, they looked too good for that division, and they always looked like they were going to go up. You know, in this division, they're hanging on for dear life at times, and they're playing some of the most you know, grim football um, I've, I've seen at times. So they're they're there for Brentford to take the game to them and hopefully rip them apart you should see one bonus that we've had I suppose is that Reading game because we scored such an early goal and we got ourselves into such a commanding lead so early on it allowed us to rest some players some key players and this is the whole thing that's been big for us is the, is the team rotation thing and the fact that we are allowed to bring sort of Rico Henry off quite early in the game where he, you know he'd not be funny he just plays every game at every minute so to take players like him off as well, you know, obviously well, Pinnock had a, an enforced um, uh, rest on Saturday due to his red card in the previous games. Uh, he's been there. He's nice and rested as well. You know, whether or not um, Pontus has been rested or whether or not he's what's going on there, we're not quite sure. But Madspex has been doing the business as well. And also Dalsgaard. I mean, I don't know if the word is out with whether or not he's injured or if they're just holding him off back, thinking they need to put him in against Newcastle. I'm not quite sure. So... We've, we've had quite so, a Bill, are you saying there's, Bill, are you saying there's been a arrested development? There's been a, a development of arrestedness, indeed. Yes, that's right. And it's going to be hopefully the best development. We'll see, we'll see a full full squad a few days before Christmas to try and get us into the semi-finals of the League Cup. So anyway, that's that's very very good news. I'm not I'm not, so, not so sure about the uh, something stinks about the Pontus Janssen thing, though, doesn't it? It just like him, him he's disappeared and no one said a word. 
And uh, I think Frank was pressed on it against uh, who's playing the week, Watford. And I've never seen a man move the conversation on so quickly um, as to why he wasn't playing. It's, I mean, I, I'd be very surprised if we see him again this year. I just just a hunch I've got. I've got no information on this, of, of course, but it just, you know, he disappeared. No one said a word. Um, yeah, I'm I worried I've seen last him for a while. Conspiracy yeah. theorist. Yeah, conspiracy, conspiracy. theorist. I actually think he's, he's had the COVID vaccine and Bill Gates has got him chained up in his... Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> and they put, and they put, that's right, they've injected the chip into him, from what I've heard, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's, with, a bit of fi- with a bit of 5G. 5G, yeah. He's, been 5G, mate. 5G. he's, he's tied to a 5G mask by Bill Gates. <laughs> you heard JB giving his facts and stats, and he talked about the League Cup, and he talked about 2001 when we were in the League Cup as well, and Brentford played... Newcastle in the League Cup in 2001 and one player who was there not only was he there but he scored a goal for us up at Newcastle Lloyd Arusu he's going to just give us his little thoughts on this Newcastle game Yo peeps what's happening guys this is Lloyd Arusu all the way from Sydney Australia I hope you're all well so just going out to all my massive Brentford fans missing you guys on this side of the world but I hope you're all safe and sound but I just want to wish you all the best for your upcoming game against uh, Newcastle in the quarterfinals. Uh, I remember back in 2001, yeah, we, we got them in the Wetherton Cup and uh, it was a great experience for us boys, especially being the underdogs and, and going up to Newcastle to play this game. Uh, I remember just the old atmosphere of going up there by train and even some of the fans were even up there as well. They came up on a train with us as well and it was a great day out. Uh, but yeah, for ourselves, we ended up taking this game to extra time. We actually scored the first goal. Luckily, myself, I popped up with a goal pretty early on in the game. And then uh, we, we we were in the game for some time, done quite well. And then uh, uh, I remember Charlie Amiobi, he made he scored the equaliser from an Alan Shearer flick on, I believe it was. And then we the game went into extra time. And obviously, as you can probably imagine, with the boys of their ilk and class, obviously fitness levels for them were probably a bit above us. And then, uh, we, we were tiring, but to be fair, I should have even equalised even before the end of the extra time. Myself, I could have made, taken the game and could have won, but that was that. But then they brought on Craig Bellamy on extra time and uh, obviously class showed. He came on and scored a hat-trick. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was it was, it was was a great game for us in overall, though, even though we lost the game 4-1 in the end. But it was a great experience. Uh, great fun up there as well, you know what I mean, with all our fans high up in the stand. Uh, even I remember, even when I did score, we were trying to see our fans up in the corner of so high, so high away. But uh, yeah, it was good. But yeah, I just want to, yeah, like I said, I just want to wish the boys and obviously the fans all the best with the safe travels up there. Uh, with if you, if players, if the fans can get get to the game at all. But then also, just want to wish the boys. I mean, Ivan Tonys and Fosu Mensas and all the, all the crew. I hope they can do well get the result and uh, get through to a semi-final. That'd be a great achievement. And I believe they can do it because th- there's some quality there in the team. So as as anyone knows in football, it is what it is. Anything can happen. It's a game of two teams of 11 players. Whoever wants it the most and has most desire comes out of Victoria. So hopefully the boys can do that. So I wish, I'm wishing you all the best. And uh, yeah, all the best boys and all the best to all your fans as well. You take care. So Lloyd Owusu, there you go, scored a goal up at Newcastle. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant day out. Remember, lady, we went up there, stayed overnight in the hotel. The players came out the train, all the fans came off the train. We were staying actually in the station hotel, I remember. Um, we, we, we went out to some boat 
uh, at night. We, we stayed in the Alps. We were in the Alps in the stadium. We went 1-0 up. We thought we were going to get a win, one all. And then it just didn't quite happen. But it was a really good night out because that's the days when Brentford, when we weren't really expecting anything, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a great, great way there, that one. I, um, I, was, I was I was fairly young at the time. And it, I, I remember it was like, just after 9 11, was it? So a weird atmosphere on, the, on, the, on that train up. We had, there was the, Brentford had put a, uh, had hired a train, the chartered a train, the Brentford Express. And it took about eight hours to get from London to Newcastle because it, it, it chugged along at about four miles an hour and it had to, had to pull over for the express trains to go by. And I, I think we arrived in Newcastle at about 7.20 or something. And <laughs> the game started at 7.45 and everyone scrambled around for a, for a can. Then you were rushed back because um, extra time obviously also then killed the prospect of going to the pub and away after. But um, yeah, that's a great memory actually. And Newcastle were just probably at their heights, weren't they? You know, post Keegan, but still a cheer there. And Bobby Robson's on a touchline. I mean, now we sort of feel that we win, you know, less less grateful to play teams on Newcastle. But back then, that was a big, big deal. Um, you know, and Darren Powell doing a job with Alan Shearer that day, which, I mean, it finished 4 1, but I don't think Shearer was involved at all with any of the goals from memory. Darren Powell had him in his pocket. So that was, that was a great memory. It was Craig, Craig Bellamy got them all that night, didn't he? Yeah, I think Amy Ovi got the first and Bellamy got a hat-trick. Yeah, I mean, as you said, they were, they were the days when you got one game like that a season and now they're, they're, they come most weeks now. So, uh, yeah, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. But, yeah, I can't wait for Tuesday night still. you know, it's, I know it's only the Caribou Cup, League Cup, but it's, it is it's a game that we can get excited about. We can get excited. So we're getting excited. We're going to go over to Alex from True Faith Podcast because he's not as excited about this game as what we are. Let's hear what Alex had to say right now. So Tuesday night, we've got a big game coming up. Brentford are playing Newcastle in the quarter-final of the League Cup. And I can remember for years and years and years, I always, always, always wanted us to get to the quarter-final of any cup. We played Liverpool in the quarter-final that one time, which is absolutely mad back in, what's it, 1989 or something ridiculous. And there was loads of us went up to Liverpool for that game. But it's amazing that we've actually got to the quarter-final of the Cup, something we've been desperately waiting for, and we can't even go to the game. Absolutely gutter. But anyway, listen, Newcastle, Premier League team Newcastle, coming down to New Griffin Park. The first time in a, in a few years. They were down there only a few years ago. Um, but a lot has changed in Newcastle since they came down a, a few years ago. So we're going to chat to Alex Hurst from the True Faith podcast. He's going to give us the lowdown on Newcastle. Alex, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Billy. How are you? I'm not too bad, but she's sitting here looking at the sea. I've got a little bit of headspace and just getting myself geared up for the game on Tuesday night. But listen, tell you something. This is the first meeting between Bees and Newcastle since the 2016-2017 season. You know, we played you twice that season. We lost twice and you won the league fairly convincingly that year with Rafa Benitez. I mean, does that seem a million miles away? Very much so. It was, um, it was a hugely enjoyable season for most of it anyway before Mike Ashley did the usual. It's one of those things where, you know, there's a few teams where, I mean, I mean I've seen Brentford play most teams in all the leagues, you know, from Accrington Stanley all the way up to Liverpool, like, you know what I'm saying? But there's a few teams that people get very excited about Brentford playing and hoping to want them to see. And I remember when we played you, Newcastle, it came out the draw, everyone was so excited. Away at Newcastle, I mean, we didn't care it was a White Cup draw, and like literally everyone and their dog went up for that. We took 3,000 fans up to Newcastle. We had a brilliant weekend, you know, I remember staying, you know, hanging out with Kevin Miles 
um, as you probably know, you know, that night I went to the Irish bar, we went to all sorts of bar all over Newcastle. I even stayed with a guy in his garage on the other side of the river as well. He converted his garage into some sort of B&B, at least so he reckoned. And he says, here you go, open the door. And I'm like, this is your garage. He's like, yeah. So uh, we played you in the cup in 2001, this same League Cup as well. It was on a, I think it was on a Tuesday night. It was a definitely night game as well. Do you remember that one? I do. I think I was about 12. And uh, yeah, it was it was the League Cup under Sir Bobby Robson. And, and uh, it, was this, it was at the start of a very good season for Newcastle when we, we ended up qualifying for the Champions League and put a really good team together. And that was a, that was a close game as, as well. I think, I think it actually went the extra time. Um, and Craig Bellamy scored a hat-trick. You know, Craig Bellamy was a great player for Newcastle, but he wasn't a prolific goal scorer. But it was that night, fortunately for us. And typical for Brentford as well, that he has to come in and score some goals. And Lloyd Awusu scored the goal for Brentford that night as well. And Lloyd Awusu will also be discussing and talking about his memories from that game as well on this podcast. Going back to the 2016-2017 season, you've got still quite a few players from that season, you know, still playing for you. You had Shelby, you know, um, he actually ran the show for you as well in that game um, up, at, up at Newcastle. You've also got um, Dwight Gale as well. You know, he was spearheading your attack. You know, Matt Ritchie, Kieran Clark, you know, Yedlin, uh, Lazar, Lascelles, Sammy Obiobi and, 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 and Jack Colback were there, but um, they're both at Forest now as well. So it seems that you seem to have kept quite a lot of your championship winning players in your side. Is that right? That's that's correct. Um, you know, lack of investment in the team has been a real issue. And Rafa Benitez had two seasons in the Premier League, and he pretty much had to survive with with like just the Championship side. Um, you know, the, the, the lads you've just mentioned there. I'm a I'm a I'm a huge Dwight Gale fan. He's 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 had a lot of injuries, and he's been written off by Sunny Castle fans. He went on loan to West Brom. And tore it up again in the championship. But I, I, I think Dwight Gale's a Premier League player, and I think any Premier League uh, or, or lower, you know, bottom half Premier League team um, could have a place for him. And, and like you say, I remember John Joe Shelby in the championship. He's one of those players, John Joe, who struggles at times in the Premier League, but is comfortably too good for the championship. Um, and yeah, like you say, Kieran Clark and DeAndre Yedlin were both brought in for relatively low money, and are still here doing a good job. So. That summer that we went into the championship was actually ended up being one of our best transfer windows for the Premier League because that team not only got us out of the, uh, the championship at the first time of asking, which is a, a tough ask for any relegated side, but still continue to keep us up in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, talking about those players, I mean, there were a few players that you let go. There was, uh, there was one player who's become our nemesis almost, is Alexandra Mitrovic as well. And uh, you let him go to the F word, the, 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 we can't mention their name, the f- 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 Fulham, as, as we call them as well. So, um, you know, and he's caused us a few problems as well. You know, we've managed to contain him as well. You know, I, th- I think Montes, Pontus Janssen had him in his pocket for a couple of games over the past few seasons as well, but they managed to beat us in the game that counted as far as they're concerned. I mean, Mitrovic, you know, that was he for you. Couldn't stand him. Lazy. Uh, not a team player. I think he's managed to sort his disciplinary issues out at Fulham. But um, at Newcastle, you got three red cards in a season. Um, a couple of them, there was a tackle on Kyle Walker, which was just like vicious and nasty. There was no need to do it. He could have broken his leg. There was an L, but Newcastle were playing West Ham and after they'd just been promoted, they ended up winning 3-0. And Mitrovic um, came off the bench and immediately within seconds threw an elbow in Lanzini's face and got a red card. It's, Stuff like that, that as a fan, it just, it just drove me nuts because it was a guy with some talent. Um, he was never fit. He was constantly overweight. Um, like me and my friends, there are some, some Newcastle fans like him. Younger fans said to like him because he's a bit mad and he would do like stupid girl celebrations where he would, well, I'm not saying what he did. I don't know if he still does it at Fulham, but 
he would make a rude gesture. Um, Rafa Benitez, I saw through him straight away, and I'm, I'm shocked that he's done well at Fulham because he was so bad for us. Um, I think his overall record for us was like one in eight, one in nine games, so really, really bad in front of goal. Um, and then, yeah, Fulham, he just seems to have uh, to have done really well, though. I, you know, played against us last night and put in the exact kind of performance when his team were dominant by the win and should have beaten us comfortably because we're terrible, which we might come on to. Um, but yeah, he was uh, he was awful last night, and I think I think Scott Parker. Well, I know this is the Fulham podcast. Is <laughs> has worked out that his, his best team doesn't doesn't compete, uh, contain Mitty Rich. Yeah, which is annoying for us, actually, because we, we sussed that out quite a few weeks before the playoff uh, final as well. And we were keeping our fingers crossed that Mitrovic, well, you know, like I said, you know, would be, would actually play for them. And <laughs> he kept him on the bench, which was actually really annoying. So uh, <laughs> if he was on, we actually might have been for them. But we, 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 we all move on anyway. But also there's a couple of other players as well, which actually I think is probably really hurting you quite badly that you let go. Um, and these two players are actually top goal scorers in the championship. You've got Adam Armstrong, who was there for you a while and you lent him over everywhere he was Coventry he was at Barnsley he was just there serial loans for Armstrong as well and also the infamous Ivan Tony as well who's banging them in for Brentford as well so I mean tell us about Ivan and Newcastle what went wrong I think I, I don't think anything went wrong and, and we, we've obviously talked about this in our podcast and a lot of Newcastle fans are looking at Ivan Tony and thinking what went wrong and, and Adam Armstrong like you said particularly since Adam said a local lad from Newcastle and came through the academy, whereas we we bought Tony from Peterborough, maybe or, or so, you know we brought him in as a youngster, but he still came through the academy. I think these players you you know you've mentioned there, I mean they have come good in 2020, but and, and a little and maybe last year and last season as well. But if you think about how how much game time have they had in the lower leagues, you know they've, they've played football consistently in leagues one and the championship to get the here. So if, if we'd have kept hold of them and playing under twenty three football and the odd loan here and there, I think we really stunt a player's development. And you know, I mean, we, we talked about Dwight Gale. Now Dwight Gale's a great example of someone who didn't start playing Premier League football until he was like you know twenty five, twenty six. Sometimes that happens with players. Sometimes you know, Daryl Murphy was an excellent player for us in the Championship. Spent the first half of his career in the League of Ireland. Um, so I just think I don't think things went wrong. I think they came into a, you know, Tony in particular, since he plays for you, he came into a really struggling club, a, a, a team that was hurtling towards relegation under Steve McLaren. It's not the time to play young players. He, he made um, a couple of League Cup appearances, I think, or at least one. I remember seeing him playing, coming on, and then you just thought, this kid's, this, this is a kid, he's too young, he's too, he's too skinny, he needs to develop. And it's, I, I often would rather see players for their own good go out and develop a career at the lower leagues and potentially come good than like a Chelsea situation where you just hoard these footballers in the hope that they come good. I mean, I have to say this, and this is all due respect. Listen, Newcastle, as I said to you, love it, love going up there, love your team, love the history. But Beast fans are not happy with Steve Bruce at all. And it goes all the way back to the day from when he nicked DJ Campbell off of us, you know, for £500,000 when we were going to win the league that year. And he just nicked him off of us after he about, heard about it from a mate because he scored two goals against Sunderland in the Cup. And then afterwards, when he went to Villa, he signed Scott Hogan from us as well. I mean, he laughed at that. He gave us £12 million, but he actually had no idea how Scott Hogan played or where he played as well. And we've kind of got sort of Steve Bruce's dumble, we feel, because, you know, Steve Bruce was just the type of football that he was playing at Villa. We 
Personally, we believe that it just wasn't going to work. The players that he's putting together, it just wasn't going to work at all. And, you know, obviously, um, things have changed since he's left. So, uh, Steve Bruce is now at Newcastle. And, and like I said to you, he's coming down to us. And there's not a lot of love lost for Steve Bruce with the Brentford fans. I mean, how are you feeling about Stevie? Can't stand him. Uh, I think he's the most loathed manager in Newcastle probably since Graham Souness back in 2005. Very similar managers, very, very, you know, the football under both of them is the same. He's, you know, I've tr- me and other Newcastle fans, we've tried to get behind him. We've tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. The fact that he was given the job in the first place was just incredible. Um, you know, his previous Premier League job, he'd been sacked, he would, he'd be relegated with Hull. Um, before that, he'd been sacked by Sunderland. Uh, he was terrible at Sunderland. He, he, he made a load of disparaging remarks about Newcastle while he was at Sunderland and Newcastle fans. Um, he, he, he gives it the whole I'm a Geordie stuff, but who, like, who cares? I, I could not care less when my, my manager was born. It genuinely doesn't bother me one little bit. But Mike Ashley admitted that he gave him the job because he was a Geordie, and it's like, this is a pre-COVID, this is a business in the North East that turns over nearly £200 million a year. And you're giving the most important person in your organisation the job because of where he was born. Just just ridiculous. But the, it's got really toxic between Bruce and the fans. And there's no fans in grounds because the team are so bad and so lucky. Um, you know, Bruce talked, when he came in, he said he was going to take us forward. He said he was going to play, we're going to play better football. We're going to do all this kind of stuff. And we don't do any of it. And he's just so thin-skinned and not open to criticism. I mean... Newcastle played Fulham last night. Fulham, who who are, who are you know strong chance will be relegated this season. Um, we played Leeds on uh, Wednesday. We played West Brom last Saturday. So that we had three promoted sides in a week, and all three of those sides absolutely dominated us. And we've took, we've taken four points, and I don't know how. It's one of the weird you know we'll have we'll have less shots than anyone else in the league. We we'll score less goals apart from like Arsenal. Which is weird, um, you know. You know, Fulham came and before the red card last night had seventy percent of the ball at James Park. It just it cannot continue. Um, I think we'll get relegated this season or next season as long as he's in charge. Uh, he's a he's a dreadful manager. Um, he was given the job because of where he was born, not because of the things he achieved in the game. And a lot of fans just uh, you know assume him to be a yes man because Rafa Benitez wanted the best for the club, wanted the best for the team, would always push for more money. Um, Steve Bruce just, you know, Steve Bruce said we had a great transfer window um, in the summer, and whilst it was good, bringing in Callum Wilson was good. We still didn't really spend much money compared to most teams in the league. Um, so, you know, people view him as, uh, you know, not a representative of the fans like Benitez was, but a representative of Ashley, and and he is that because Mike Ashley likes managers who are grateful to be in the job, who are not up, upwardly mobile in their careers. You know, who's he appointed? Alan Pardew. Well, where is he now? He appointed Steve McLaren. Where is he now? Um, he appointed Steve Bruce. And I'm sure Steve Bruce will get another championship job after Newcastle because he has a decent record in the championship. But there's no way, no way any other Premier League man, uh, club would, would give Steve Bruce a job. It just it just wouldn't happen. And, uh, you know, Newcastle fans have got this like ongoing battle with um, pundits and uh, like talk sport and stuff like that and, and, and Chris Sutton and, and Robbie Savage because they also say you know they're so harsh on on Steve Bruce what do they want yeah when all of that you know when Chris Sutton's team at Celtic already struggled he's saying the manager would be sacked he isn't saying Steve Bruce should get the job 
when uh, Ian Wright is saying Arsenal are really struggling, you know, manager might be in trouble. I'm not saying I'll give Steve Bruce the job, yet we're totally grateful to have Steve Bruce to have his 14th in the league, playing the worst football I've ever seen and getting dominated. We can be out by teams with a fraction of the budget of ours, so... It's a long answer to your question, but no, I'm not a Steve Bruce fan. Okay, well, just to say, uh, I can now come out now, and I was trying to be polite when I was talking to you about Steve Bruce beforehand, but um, we actually think he's a terrible manager as well, and we just shake our heads. And when he got the Villa job, we just couldn't believe he got the Villa job, and every other job that he gets, we cannot believe it, because, you know, in our eyes as well, he is terrible. So you've backed us up, so I feel a little bit easier now in actually kind of letting off, off my soul. Do you know if Steve Bruce has ever been to Barnard Castle for an eye test? <laughs> he's probably been to Barnard Castle, to be fair. He probably needs one. It might might help him pick a team better. Don't mention those managers as well, or else you you start us on this. This interview will be four hours long instead. Actually, you know. So, <laughs> but listen, coming to Tuesday, as we said, Tuesday is the furthest Brentford have ever got in this competition. So we should be proud of ourselves here as well as a team. You know, as a fan base, everything that's going on, we are definitely moving ourselves forward. I'm going to ask you though, as a Newcastle fan, are you feeling confident going into this game? I think we'll lose this game fairly comfortably. Um, I'm not looking forward to it at all. I'm not looking forward to it for two reasons. Um, number one, the, the Steve Bruce's look is just off the scale. I've never seen anything like it. Um, the cup draws he's had over the past two seasons. We've got the quarter-final of the FA Cup. We've got the quarter-final of the League Cup this year without playing a single Premier League side. Um, which is just <laughs> insane. <laughs> look, um, and then, you know, you almost, I almost feel as a fan, we'll just say we win this and we'll get through to our first Cup semi-final since 2005. Um, what's the point? Because we got from the quarter-final last year against Man City. But listen, losing to Man City is fine. I've seen us lose to Man City loads. I'm absolutely com- more comfortable than I should be with losing these games. Um, it's the lack of ambition. It's giving them, at times, 80% of possession. It's having no shots on goal. You know, Newcastle line up in games against bigger teams. No, like like a conference side. You know, if 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 a team from the conference got Man City away in the cup, they would they could not be more negative than we are against these sides. Like I said, Fulham came to St James's Park last night and had seventy percent of possession before the red card. Like that is not a good thing. Like you know, and we're going to record our podcast on the Fulham game after this interview. And one of the things we ask ourselves each week is. How how can this be the plan? Because if you're going to give the opponent 70% of the ball, the chances are they're going to score. Um, and if you give them 20 to 25 shots on goal, like we do most weeks, chances are they're going to score. So it is, if it is the plan, why is it the plan? And if it isn't the plan, why does it keep happening? You know, we can't get to the bottom of that one. So, you know, I think, I think Brentford will, will dominate possession in probably a way that you haven't dominated a lot of teams in the championship this season because we're so passive. Played a game against Chelsea a few weeks ago and Chelsea won in first gear. We made one tackle in the whole of the first half. One. Which is like, it's like kids football, isn't it? It's like under sevens. Um, so I'm really not looking forward to this. There's a lot of Newcastle fans. And and to be really brutal, just say we win this game, we get through on penalties or something or, 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 you know, it's like the kind of constant battle against the Bruce fans have is that it's going to be what he got you to the semi-final. Well, you know, Newcastle fans are never happy he got you to the semi-final. All right, let's ignore the absolute horror show of everything else. It'll just be, you got you to the semi-final. Because that was what Pundit said last season, and that's what some of the fans were. Because I got you quarter-final of the cup. It's like, yeah, but did you watch that quarter-final? It was humiliating. It was a humiliation. 
Saying that, I mean, it's interesting you talk about the amount of games that, you know, the, the, the championship teams have played. Obviously, we played, you know, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Saturday. We played a lot of games. And that is one of the things which, you know, may but, you know, play in Newcastle's favour, the fact that we've had to massively rotate our team. Um, we haven't played, a, you know, a straight first team for any of our matches. I know we've beaten Southampton, we've beaten West Brom so far in the running so far. But, you know, and this is no disrespect to the players, our sort of second string players, because they've done fantastically. But, you know, it's leaning towards the fact that we will play second string players, you know, a fair amount of second string players in this uh, in this match as well. It's a, there's a high chance that Ivan Tony won't play as well because, you know, they need him for the league matches because we need to get promoted, you know, so... So, you know, you, you have to, you, you know, we, we played, you know, second string defence against Reading. You know, we beat them 3 0 on Saturday, but, you know, all the four defenders that are in the second half are actually our second string. So, like I said to you, you, you never know. The one thing, though, that may play into our favour is Phil Giles, our director of football, who's been, you know, instrumental in us, you know, in the system that we use, implementing the system, finding players that no one's ever heard of and bringing them into Brentford. He's actually a hardcore Newcastle fan. Um, he's, you know, every time we, you know, we play um, Borough, he always goes out there for the weekend to go and stay with his brother in Newcastle. So he's a hardcore Newcastle fan and he knows Newcastle inside out he's a, you know he's a he's a phd statistician you know what i'm saying so this is this is his world so if anything we'll have a little bit more reconnaissance and information on newcastle than most other teams will do which is actually quite good news but talking about reconnaissance who should we be looking out for for newcastle well assuming bruce plays the strongest team and he simply has to i mean it's impossible predicting newcastle's lineups because he makes so many changes so often this is something that Villa and Sunderland fans, we spoke to Villa and Sunderland fans when he was named our manager uh, and was said, you know, Steve Bruce, what went wrong at your clubs? And they said, you know what he did at both clubs? He's he's quite good at assembling sides. I know you mentioned Hogan there. He didn't really do his homework there, but he does put together good teams. So you saw what, um, you know, Villa's manager now, um, who managed you before, did with Steve Bruce's squad. He got them up straight away. And, and, he, and he, I remember him saying that. He said, Steve Bruce has left me a really good squad. And Sunderland fans say he had the, the best they had the best squad in the Premier League under him. But he doesn't know how to use the players. And he he plays players out of position needlessly. Give an example at Leeds. He played Jacob Murphy, who you, you might know a little bit about because he spent a couple of seasons alone in the Championship at uh, West Brom and Chef Wears. He, he played him as a right-back against Leeds. Kid's not a right-back. But he had a right back on the on the bench, <laughs> and then he didn't pick DeAndre Yedlin in the match day squad, who's probably his best right back. And then yesterday he plays DeAndre Yedlin, and uh, so like there was five changes yesterday, and he changed all the fullbacks and all the wingers. And sometimes you'll you'll do that, you'll change all the central midfielders and all the central defenders. So how how a, a team or a squad is supposed to get any kind of partnerships going, any kind of understandings going? It's very difficult for me to predict who will actually play against you. Um, Colin Wilson is, is a really good player. I'm, I'm really pleased we signed him. He, he, he has what, eight goals this season. Six penalties, I think, but eight goals. Um, or oh, five penalties. And uh, he's a really good player. Um, I probably didn't appreciate how good he was when he played for Bournemouth. But considering that we create so little, he's so sharp and he's so... You know, I don't know if you saw the, the penalty he got against Fulham last night. They're very intelligent to... to to make sure that he went down in the box, make sure that it, it, he got closer to goal because he, he probably wasn't fouled uh, and he managed to get apparently in the red card and rescue a point. So, Callum Wilson, if he gets a chance, he'll score, he's clinical. I've got a lot of time for him. 
you know, Ryan Fraser, we've, we've hardly seen anything of um, because he's been injured and he wasn't fit for the start of the season since he downed tools at Bournemouth at the end of last season. Uh, he's looked really good. Um, you know, Miguel Almiron is an excellent player, but it's just consistently um, incorrectly used by Bruce. Just, you know, Almiron is basically a, a deep-lying forward uh, who plays through the middle of the pitch. Number 10, some people might like to call it, but he, he's so fast. He's one of the, the quickest players in the Premier League that what he's doing is good is, 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 is carrying the ball, running at defenders. Because he's because he's fast, Bruce plays him on the wing and doesn't play anywhere else. And he's not a winger. He doesn't he doesn't have a trick to beat a player. Um, he doesn't he doesn't like to cross the ball, but Bruce plays him as a winger. Um, and John Joe Shelby, an emesis from sixteen seventeen, um, on his day, is a is a really really talented footballer. Um, his day just isn't very often, and he really str- he really struggles when sides press him um, because he's he's not very mobile. I think one of the issues going back to that game in. 2016 at our place uh, when he came up was he had the freedom of the pitch and if you give John Shelby time and space he will hurt you but I imagine because of the reasons you've just said there the, the reconnaissance and knowing what Newcastle do well and don't do well is um is like who will press him and you won't give him time Newcastle's best players in terms of performance are actually the goalkeeper so Martin Dubravka our player of the season last season has been injured all year and Carl Darla, who was our championship goalkeeper, has come in and just been absolutely brilliant. He's, he's he, Carl Darla and Callum Wilson are the difference between Newcastle being bottom of the league um, and where they are now. Um, he, he's tended to play the third choice keeper in the cup, Mark Gillespie, who isn't very good. Um, I think that would be a huge gamble by Bruce to do that. And, you know. What, what are Newcastle good at? What should Brentford be worried about? We're good at conceding lots and lots of very, very good chances, but not conceding goals. We're good at making the ball hit the post and the bar. We're good at the goalkeeper making world-class saves. and We're, we're good at having one shot and scoring <laughs> and stealing games. So that's that's what I'd be worried about. If, if Brentford are wasteful and don't take their chances, we have form for uh, for Callum Wilson in particular. All he needs is one chance and he tends to score. And uh, we, we tend to get away with it more often than not. Well, I asked people to send in a load of questions and most of them are very silly and this is probably the, the least silliest out of all of them. Would you rather play Joe Linton or 40 million boxes of matchmakers up front? It's a really tough one. Um, Joe Linton is terrible. Um, <laughs> Rafa Benitez, when the club put to him that they, were, they wanted to sign Joe Linton, he said, no, absolutely not. He won't, he won't make it in the Premier League. So it's not like they weren't warned. <laughs> not like the people who do these things were not warned by a world-class manager. <laughs> Joe Linton's a real, a, a real funny one because he's a good footballer. He clearly is a good footballer. He'll just never, he'll just never make it in the Premier League running with football. You get players like that, you know, I don't know whether Brentford have had a few, but we, we've had a few. You know, we had Florian Tovan, who was terrible, but has played in the Champions League for Marseille regularly and played, has played for France and been a good player. We had... Um, Going back a bit further, we had Albert Luque, who played in the World Cup for Spain, played in the Champions League for Deportivo La Coruña, signed for Newcastle and was just clearly talented, but just too slow, too weak for the Premier League. And, and Joe Linton's another one who was just, he is, and I've, I've seen him like play 50 times for Newcastle. He's just not going to make it in the Premier League. He might play on Tuesday and he might score and he might do a couple of good things, but he's a defender's dream. He, he, he's not, even though he's a big guy, he's over six foot. He just doesn't have the physicality for the English league. Um, I hate hate seeing him play. If Joe Linton had cost five million pounds, he'd be nowhere near the team. 
because it would just be, well, this guy's not good enough. But because he costs £40 million and because the manager, bizarrely, even though they'd signed him before he joined, bizarrely said he'd, he'd like, you know, approved the signing and thought he was going to be a good player. Um, he, t- he has to play him because he costs so much money. And the only chance they've got of getting any of the money back, even like he's not even worth, to, a, to another English team, he's not even worth £10 million. The only way they can try and get some money back in him is just by playing him constantly and, and hoping he, you know, gets a couple of goals. I think he's got two league goals for Newcastle and over in like 44 appearances or something in the league. It's just, you know, it's laughable, isn't it? Laughable. Just coming back to the game again, Brentford, what and who are you worried about? Well, I'm worried about Brentford as, a, as an overall thing. Um, I think I think the fact, you know, Ivan Tony, like you said, I think a lot of Newcastle fans think you'll score. Not because uh, there's, I, I mean, I don't know. I've not heard Ivan Tony talk about this time in Newcastle. I don't think there's any bad blood there. But it's just one of those things, isn't it? You know, players tend to score against their former former clubs. Like Dwight Gale came off the bench against West Brom last week and scored within 30 seconds or something crazy. Because that's just the way it. Uh, that's just the way it goes. And if I was your manager, I'd be saying, don't worry about this lot. Pin them back. They won't tackle you. They won't press you. And get get in the box, and you'll score goals. And and I think the fact that you're on a decent run. I know you've had quite a few draws recently, but it was a good, a really good result for you yesterday against. I, mean, I haven't checked on Red recently, but I know they were doing well earlier this season. Yeah, um, you know, I think that you're coming into this in fantastic form. We're coming into this where the fan base is is near, is like mutinous against the manager. And our next 10 Premier League games after this are, are really difficult. I think we've got Sheffield United and Palace. And the, the, the other eight games are games you, are against sides who are in the top top half of the division. Um, so Steve has, he has to win this game. If he doesn't win this game, I can't see him lasting much longer. So, all right. So it's, it's a little bit doom and gloom in the Newcastle camp. However, as Brentford fans, that means nothing to us because, as we say, you know, we could always Brentford it up. Like, you know what I'm saying? They, we could be, everyone could be expecting us to win, and, and it just doesn't really work like that. And we know this because we've been around for too many years to actually kind of count our laurels. So I'm going to ask you, listen, Alex, give us a score prediction. I think it would be 3 0 to Brentford. Poor you're, you're, good. You're, you're even got more Brentford than I have. Like, you know, we should maybe swap places. But listen, I, I cannot underestimate how bad Newcastle are as a, as a side. The fact that we have 18 points this season is a scandal. Like, it is an absolute scandal against the sides we picked up. From in there, uh, I speak to some fans of Prem, other Premier League clubs, and they always just think that the last game they saw us play was a bad day, like a really bad day. It's like, no, this is us. This is how we play every single week we went to Spurs and we didn't have a shot on goal until the 97th minute and got a point and Spurs hit the bar three times like it's just we're so lucky it's unbelievable we are a terrible side we conceded three goals in eight minutes against Leeds you know Brentford aren't a million miles away from Leeds are they because in the same division last season finished close to each other in the league um, you know trust me there's 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 joy to be had for Brentford on Tuesday Alex, it's been great chatting to you. Really, really interesting. It's a good little catch-up on, you know, championship days, old-school days, you know, what the Premier League's like and also what's going on in Newcastle. Just let everybody know out there how they can get hold of you and your podcast. Yeah, it's been, it's been good to chat to you, Billy. Thank you for having me on. And, uh, yeah, if you, if you want to hear a, a Newcastle perspective after the match on, on Tuesday, we're at we're True Faith Newcastle United. We're at TFNUFC on Twitter. And uh, 
we do we do post game podcasts after every game, so we'll no doubt be deconstructing the mess at uh, New Griffin Park on Tuesday night. Maybe we'll chat after the game as well on Tuesday night. Yeah, no problem. Okay, nice one. Cheers, Alex. So that was Alex from True Faith Podcast. And if you want to hear the full-length podcast as well, we're going to put that out because that's just a little clip from the podcast as well. And it's interesting to hear his thoughts because Alex is not a big fan of Steve Bruce. He's not a big fan of Newcastle at the moment now. And he thinks that we're going to get a bit of a result. Guys, have you got as much confidence in us as Alex has? Depending what team we put out, I have, yes. If we put our best team out, which I think we probably will almost... Um, then I do. I, I'm going to go for a 3-1 Brentford victory, actually. Ooh, whoa, whoa. Jimmy uh, Mack. Yeah, I, I, again, I've made, made a point earlier, but I think a lot of it is down to this, this obviously, team lineups massively, but they had, had a defence get on. Um, all the way f- since we were drawn in that, I, my, my, my feeling has been, my heart's been telling me that, we you know, we'll, we'll probably just miss out on the semis. Um the nearest Scott, we, we sort of we don't know how to lose at the moment. Um, I, I think it's going to be decided on penalties, and I think we are going to win a penalty shootout to go through to the semis. Oh, you tease! And, and, and ooh, ooh. I, I, I should be putting money on that. Really, now I've said it. I absolutely yeah, should be yeah. backing that. And I, well, well, I'm going to back it as well. I'll do what yeah. I said. Yeah. Put your money where your mouth oh, is. Jesus. Put your money where oh, your mouth is. Yeah, there we are. Bet responsibly, bet responsibly, of course, but I am going to put my house on the penalty. Of course. Drink responsibly, <laughs> bet responsibly. Everything's got to be responsible at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, listen, and for me, I'm going to go a slightly uh, less uh, kind of risque than, than you two guys. I'm going to go for a straight 2 0 def- uh, win <laughs> for the mighty. You always hit your feet. I don't... <laughs> you don't even know the man. You don't even know our manager is. <laughs> From a strike, yeah. Out, right. out. The tracks. <laughs> Frank out, that's right. Let's get him out. <laughs> you know, it's all his fault. So anyway, this is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. The fresh sea has got to me. I've got no idea what's going on. I just hope there's a game on Tuesday night, and I really hope that we're going to win this. I've been here in the virtual joint with my chums. We're all cooped up. We're all going a bit mad, but we don't really care anymore, because as long as the bees come out on Tuesday and they win a game, that's all we'll be happy about. We'll go into the Christmas period absolutely chilling and happy and joyous and everything like that. We'll have more podcasts to come. We're not sure exactly when, so we're going to say for now, everybody out there, stay safe, have yourself a great Christmas. And fingers crossed we'll see you on the other side in the semi-final, the semi-final as we say... The semi-final. That's right. <laughs> Frank out. <laughs> The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment 
to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.